Hello, and welcome to the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast, the show that will help your entire family bring back bedtime. Each episode, sleep expert Alana McGinn discusses your burning sleep questions and provides you with tangible sleep tips and tricks to help you create your own sleep plan for your family. Whether it's how to extend your baby's naps, end bedtime battles with your toddler, or help you sleep better at night, this podcast talks all things sleep to help you and your family get the sleep you deserve. With colleagues, friends, and other wellness experts, Alana discusses all lifestyle topics that you want more information on. Are you ready to bring back bedtime? Here's your host, sleep educator, mom of three, and pop culture fanatic, Alana McGinn. Guys, you don't have to be sleep deprived just because you have a baby. If you think you are destined to months of no sleep after having a baby, think again. I am going to be your guide in teaching your baby how to become a champion sleeper with the same compassionate and practical wisdom I've used to help thousands of families get better sleep. You are the expert at your baby's sleep. No, really, you are. And I'm going to teach you how to use your knowledge about your baby to create a personalized sleep plan grounded in the science of sleep. I want to introduce you to my first book in the This Girl Loves Sleep series titled This Baby Loves Sleep. In This Baby Loves Sleep, I debunk the myths about baby sleep that may be keeping your little one from getting the rest he or she needs. I use the newborn weeks as the foundation for building good sleep habits. I apply my four good night sleep tools as the basis for your baby's sleep plan. And I help your baby fall asleep on his or her own throughout the night without your assistance. And we prioritize maternal and paternal mental health during your baby's infancy. This is the baby sleep book that every tired parent needs to own. You won't be skipping any chapters with this one. I made it my mission to create an easy to read, easy to apply and plan sleep book that gets to the heart of what's going on with your baby's sleep quickly and insightfully so that you can start applying these practical science-based baby sleep steps that have helped thousands of our families as early as tonight. So what's inside this baby loves sleep? You're going to learn newborn know-how. You will learn to recognize the connection between your newborn's brain development and sleep. I write about sleep environment. Understand the important role that sleep environment plays in your baby's sleep. We're going to talk about schedules, guys. It's the question we get asked so often from our families. So you are going to learn the biologically appropriate times your baby should be awake and asleep based on age and development. The approach, you will be able to find the sleep training method that works best for you and your baby. And guys, who's ready for longer naps? You will be able to unlock the secrets of restful and longer and I mean it, guys, longer naps. You're going to get all the answers to your most common baby sleep dilemmas. I wrote this book with you in mind because I remember what it was like to be exhausted and needing information, safe, practical, research-based information that I could apply to my baby sleep plan stat. This Baby Love Sleep is the baby sleep book that will help your baby learn the important skill of independent sleep, helping your family get the sleep they need. 
You can find a link to purchase this baby love sleep over at goodnightsleepsite.com and it's available to download now. That's right. You can start reading it within seconds and your baby can start sleeping soundly before you know it. Hi, I'm Alana McGinn, founder of goodnightsleepsite.com, a website offering sleep support and resources for you and your family. Our global team of certified sleep consultants can work one-on-one with you to help your family members sleep better. From babies to teens and adults as well, we can help you put the right sleep plan together to help your child or yourself sleep better. Remember the sleep plan is only part of the process. The ongoing support you will receive from your good night consultant is what will help you stay consistent, accountable, and sleep educated to make sure you are successful in your overall family sleep goals. Our goal is to help you become your own family's sleep expert. And we take pride in our education and above and beyond support we offer to all families who sign up with us. You can head over to goodnightsleepsite.com to find out how you can work with a good night sleep site consultant who can help you with each step along the way to creating your family sleep plan. I've been waiting to do this episode for quite some time because I know how many of you are struggling with both sleep and breastfeeding. Often these are two relationships that go hand in hand, and there are many questions from parents in regards to both. The reason why I've waited until season three to record it is simply because it was very difficult to find a lactation consultant that checked all my boxes. I wanted to make sure that the professional that I brought to you was very much that, a professional with the right experience and training that gave me the confidence to share them with you. I also wanted to make sure that the lactation consultant I spoke with was educated and passionate about breastfeeding and its importance, but didn't make you leave this episode feeling any more breastfeeding guilt than perhaps you already do. And guys, we have all been there. It was also very important for me to share someone who understood sleep training and while perhaps didn't agree with everything, was open-minded enough to have the conversations with me and who also understood that when a lactation consultant and sleep consultant work together, everyone benefits. I think I found the perfect person to answer some of your burning breastfeeding questions, and let me introduce you to Jada Shapiro. Jada Shapiro is the founder of Boober, a femtech startup which connects expectant and new parents to expert in-person pregnancy to postpartum care providers. Jada is a longtime birth and postpartum doula, childbirth educator, certified lactation counselor, birth photographer and mother, an expert in maternal health she frequently moderates and appears on panels at top parenting conventions and provides birth and breastfeeding consultation to TV shows, A-list actors, and major films, most recently to Jennifer Lawrence in Darren Aronofsky's latest feature. Jada is a media expert on childbirth, lactation, and newborn parenting and is regularly sought out for insight and information by major media outlets. She is also the founder of Birthday Presents, which since 2002 has helped 20,000 plus New York families bring their babies into the community with childbirth education classes and doula services. We had an amazing conversation, guys. There is so much great information in this episode, so much for you guys to take away. I am so thrilled to have her on today's episode of This Girl Loves Sleep. 
Welcome, Jada. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, so as we spoke about already, this episode, this isn't meant to be like a sleep training episode. I definitely want to speak about sleep and breastfeeding, um, but I really want to focus on breastfeeding because I feel like like sleep, it's, it's a topic obviously that so many new parents want to know more about, the do's and don'ts, how to establish yep. the healthiest breastfeeding relationship with your baby. Um, and you provide me some great questions that you are frequently asked, but I want to ask you first, what would be the number one tip that you would give any new mom listening about starting the breastfeeding journey? All right. Well, I would say the number one tip about starting the breastfeeding journey actually begins while you're pregnant, if possible, right? And I would say it's really about talking to your doctor or midwife ahead of time and saying, you know, how can you help me with my early breastfeeding? One of the things that we know really makes breastfeeding easier for people rather than harder is if the baby is well when they're born, having that baby placed in skin-to-skin contact and allowing the baby to kind of be there, look around, make eye contact with you, and being given the time to do what we call the breast crawl, that often babies, when they are placed in skin-to-skin contact and are allowed to kind of find their way toward the breast, Mm -hmm. they often latch on in the least painful and most ideal way possible with the widest mouth. And so one of the things that I think can really help that be a possibility is talking to your midwife or doctor now, finding out what the hospital or birth center's procedures are ahead of time. And then also, you know, just finding out if you are having any issues very early on, let's say it is painful or um, the baby is not latching well, who in the hospital or birth center, or or if you're birthing at home, you know, who are the people around you who can help? So is there a lactation consultant on the floor um, who can help? Is your doctor or midwife able to help you with breastfeeding? Um, And same with, you know, when you get home, what are the resources in, in your community? So that if it's not going in the way that you think it should be, if the baby's not gaining weight, it's hurting too much, then you know who to call for help. Because I, I would say, the most important thing early on in starting your breastfeeding relationship is getting help early if it's not going well. Yeah. And I, I, so my, to talk about my own personal journey, when I first had my daughter, my first, you know, you think breastfeeding is just going to come naturally as you know, I think many moms going into it do. And I struggled. She just, she, she was not a latcher. Um, and Mm. I could, it just, it was so difficult for those yeah. first probably two, two to three weeks until we kind of got it all sorted out. But I remember just, you know, crying every day and wanting to give up. And it was, it was just not enjoyable. And I know so yeah. many people that are probably listening have probably gone through the same thing. Cause you know, after talking to people, it's such a common issue. And yeah, you know, I reached out to the hospital where I gave birth to her and they had an amazing breastfeeding clinic and mm. amazing lactation consultants who helped me. But it was hard. It did yeah. not come easily with her at yeah, all. Yeah, and I think that's one of the the big myths that, you know, breastfeeding is natural, so it should just be easy. And I do want to acknowledge that for lots of people, it is easy. Right. There's plenty of people whose babies just last right on. Absolutely. They don't have to think about it, don't have to talk to anybody about it, and it's all fine. But for lots of people, it's really hard, like what you're saying. And it often does take that first few weeks. And even if you get great support one day, that doesn't mean that your next two to three weeks aren't hard because that's 24 hours a day that you're doing this practically, right? Like every two to three hours. And that's where I think 
knowing that often the baby's mouth actually does grow. And so for a lot of people who are having this challenge, often that two to three week mark, like I would say two to four weeks, if you can stick it out, um, you know, in they're getting multiple sessions of help or having postpartum doula care sometimes, you know, can make a big difference. Somebody who just can listen to you freaking out about how much it yeah. hurts or <laughs> how hard is it, you know, um, Boober actually also, we connect people to lactation consultants and postpartum doulas now um, as we grow into a wider marketplace to connect people to all of their pregnancy to postpartum care providers. It's been, I think it's really amazing having so having important. postpartum doula support, you know, yeah, because they are all versed in the early breastfeeding basics. And I think, Part of it is also knowing that, you know, breastfeeding is like, like a dance. Let's say there's two people and they go out dancing and one of them is an amazing salsa dancer and they've been dancing their whole life. And the other person has never taken a salsa class in their life, right? That person can learn how to dance and they can work that out. But those first bunch of dances, they're going to be fumbling and they're, you know, going to be some toes that get stepped on and messed up steps and, and pain and out of breath and like frustration. And that is very common in the early part because for the baby, it's really instinctive. They know what to do typically. Um, but for the mother or the lactating parent, we're learning, you know, we have to figure it out. And in addition, you've potentially missed a lot of sleep from your labor. And then you have this baby that's waking frequently. And when we're sleep deprived, everything is harder. For sure. And and yeah. one thing that I, I will remind parents of too is that I know with me, I struggled just even the first day or two in the hospital after mm-hmm. having her. You know, everyone's coming in and they want to see baby. And I remember actually trying to breastfeed her and struggling and then stopping because someone came in. And then, you know, for me anyways, I felt uncomfortable just kind of in the beginning. It was my first kind of just whipping it out and putting baby on the boob, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, obviously, as I was into it more, that wasn't a concern for me. But, you know, so I would stop. And, and now looking back, mm. you know, I should have had that voice to say, guys, like, just give me a second. If you don't mind just waiting outside, I'm trying, you know what I mean? So don't feel yeah. like you can't say that, Right. Right. Totally. I mean, and that is, of course, a learning lesson for all of us. I think as we, right, as we get into parenting and realize that we have to advocate and be the fiercest voice for our children, but that doesn't always come right away. And when you've just given birth, you're in such a vulnerable state. So I think that's something prenatally too, to talk about, you know, those, those people out there who haven't given birth yet and are listening to this, thinking about protecting your space and environment. Like if you have a partner there, right, your partner can, can kind of help protect uh, that environment and maybe not having people come in the first few hours, actually. That's something I talk to, you know, as a doula, I talk to a lot of clients about. I'm like, you know, I know your parents are going to be out waiting in the wings. Do you Mm. actually want them to come right in? Or maybe we hold off on telling them that the baby was born to give you that special first few hours where you might just want to be by yourself with the baby. And, you know, not all people feel that way, but I think, yeah, being able to advocate for yourself in that way or knowing like, Hey, I need a few minutes to regroup. Yeah. No, I always say that too. Like when people are coming over, you know, to visit you with a new baby too, um, that, that you should be able to be like, all right, enjoy whatever you're doing. I'm going to bed with my baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Oh, and I had to do that with pumping because that's, I mean, in the in the first yeah. bit because she wasn't latching and she wasn't breastfeeding, I had to pump. And right. so it was just leaving to pump. And I remember even just driving home from the hospital. And, I'm, you know, my my husband was the same. He was first time parent too. So he didn't know any better. And he was like, well, you know, well, so-and-so wants to come over tomorrow. And so, and I just remember feeling that anxiety creeping in. Like, yeah. no, like I, I need to focus on, like, we have to get this sorted out first before yes. yeah. we can have the whole town over to see her. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's get into some of the questions that you are frequently asked. Um, and I know that these are all questions that I had when I was in those breastfeeding stages. So a common question obviously is how do you know if your baby is getting enough milk? Yeah, that's a really common question. I mean, the most, the biggest concern we have when we have a new baby is, am I feeding my baby enough? That's, right. you know, right. Like I've got to keep this baby alive and the baby needs, needs food, needs milk. And so it can be very stressful. And, and the way we know, um, you know, one of the things breastfeeding parents need to know is that they are never going to know how much is going into their baby when they're breastfeeding. Like we're not supposed to know. The only way you know is what's coming out of your baby. So it's all about counting peas and poops in the beginning and and weight gain. And those are kind of the, the two ways that we know. And the very, so we like to say, you know, you want to equate the number of peas that you see with the amount of days that the baby is born. So for instance, on day one, in the first 24 hours, we're going to see at least one pea. On day two, we want to see at least two peas. On day three, at least three peas. On day four, four. Okay. Yeah. So that's like a little basic guidance on that. Um, that's one way. And what's tricky, of course, if you're using um, disposable diapers, they are just getting more and more absorbent every day, right? <laughs> and so you can't always tell. Now, if you have one of the ones with the blue line where the yellow, you know, the line turns blue, if there's pee, that's helpful. But some people even put a little tissue over the genitals on the first day or two in the diaper so they can see those little sprinkles if they're okay. concerned about it. Yeah. Most people are, you know, if you're, if you are giving birth in the hospital, um, then there are nurses who are going to be kind of checking on that. If you're giving birth at home, you'll be given some guidelines about checking for that. Um, the other thing is that weight gain. So typically, you know, you get a, an early visit from a pediatrician right in the in the hospital um, or the birth center. The midwife would potentially, you know, be weighing the baby and they, they kind of know what's going on. It's normal for a baby to lose weight as well. That's something people should mm-hmm, know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the baby will be born and then up to 7% is considered, you know, weight loss is considered normal. 7 to 10% we start to go, hmm. Is there not enough production? So that's a good like flag of maybe I do need to see a lactation professional to help me. Um, and if more than 10% loss, then then we really are questioning what's going on. And does there, you know, we definitely need to see a lactation professional and potentially there might be a supplementation that's recommended. You know, so basically, how do I know my baby's getting enough milk? I'm looking at peas and poops. Um, and the first poop, of course, is the meconium, which is going to come out in the first 24 hours or so. It's that black sticky tar-like stuff. So mm-hmm. that should be getting passed. And then the poop starts to transition as your milk comes in. So the first few days are all about milk building. The, the first milk is called colostrum, right? It's like this amazing liquid gold, golden liquid gold. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Super rich with antibodies. Um, but it's such tiny amounts, you know, the baby should get one to two tablespoons in the first 24 hours and people, the most common thing that people do, I think when they first have a baby, if they have, if they know nothing about breastfeeding, they go, where is my milk? They thought it was going to be white and flowy. Right. And so we want parents who are listening to know that that yellow sticky stuff that does not flow at all (laughs) is milk. It's called, it's newborn milk. And that's exactly what the baby needs. And those early days, what the baby is doing, why they're latching on so frequently. And for a lot of people, it's every one to two hours in the very first day or two. It's not based out to those two to three hours, right? They, so they, they frequently latch on. A, because their tummies are so small, they can barely hold any of that. But B, because every time they stimulate your nipple or your breast tissue, they're telling your brain to make 
more milk, right? right? And so they're all, it's like really what we call the demand and supply um, cycle of milk producing. So those early days are all about building milk supply. And if we have complete unrestricted access to the breast and the baby's latching every one to three hours, then we should expect to see our full flowing milk coming in at about day three or 72 okay. hours. I was going to ask you, when should we start seeing that happen? Yeah. So that, that kind of leads back into what I was going to say about poop is that in that day one to day three, your milk is transitioning from colostrum to full flowing milk. And in that time, the poop, then we're watching it, it's changing from black sticky tar lake. And then it's going to shift to a little bit of a greenish, dark brownish. And then it's going to shift into by day three to four to five, a yellow mustardy like quality with little kind of seeds almost in it. There's no real seeds, but it kind of like looks seedy. And you know, that's what we're watching. Now, we're also going to the pediatrician, typically. Most pediatricians want to see the baby by day three, and so that you're not doing this in a vacuum, and they're going to check the weight that the baby was born at, the weight loss that was reported in the first day or two from the hospital or the birth center or the home birth midwife, and then finally, they're going to look at, you know, it's day three now, how much does this baby weigh? Is the weight loss coming back a little? Great. Then we know that the baby's peeing and pooping, and we're seeing that that weight gain, then then we're happy. If the weight is lower than what it was a couple of days ago, right, then then we know that there's not enough milk potentially. Um, and they'll be giving then a prescription either to work with a lactation consultant and really work on building milk supply or to supplement with donor breast milk or formula um, to help make sure that the baby is getting enough because that's critical. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's 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 talk pain. Okay. <laughs> yes. so I yes. remember the pain in the beginning. And listen, it doesn't always hurt and the pain is short-lived for sure. But, you know, breastfeeding hurt. Is it normal for breastfeeding to hurt? I say that it is common for breastfeeding to hurt, but it is not normal. Okay. If if it hurts, that is a very clear sign that you will benefit from getting lactation help. If it hurts just a little, let's like categorize down. Okay, so if it's kind of like, oh, it aches a little bit, it smarts a little bit, it's really uncomfortable, but just for the first minute of the latch and you can tolerate it and then it gets a little better after that minute, then often that is okay. And you can keep going, you're not in terrible pain and we'll start to see by two to three to four weeks that mouth grows, the latch gets better, we get better at everything and and that pain often really goes away. If it's just that little kind of you know, a little bit in the first few moments, a mom or a lactating parent who is gritting their teeth, who is crying, who's having their shoulders so clenched up from the pain up at their ear, who is using rhythmic, you know, breathing techniques that they might've used for labor (laughs) (laughs) to get through breastfeeding. That is not normal. That really needs to be fixed because when you have a painful latch, not only are you very unlikely to keep doing this because right. you have to breastfeed, you know, eight to fifteen times a day, and we you can't be in that much pain when you're when you're doing this. You also the baby probably has a shallow latch or something's going on with the mouth or the tongue that's that's you know compressing or hurting the nipple. And in that case, you're probably not going to be making enough milk either. It's a very quick cycle mm-hmm. because breastfeeding hurts that much. A, you don't want to latch as, as long as you should, right? You're just right. like, you can't deal, can't tolerate. Um, B, the baby is not stimulating all of the breast tissue properly in order to create the amount of stimulation to make as much milk as is necessary for the baby. So we very quickly, if we keep sticking it out, um, we're likely to see our breast milk supply go down. And then people might say, you know, I had to give up because I didn't have enough milk. And then if you dig deeper, they're telling you how badly it hurt and how tortured they were by it. And you realize that, 
it's possible if they had gotten some help, you know, it's probable if they had gotten help that the latch would have been adjusted and addressed. And then they the also maybe, issues. you know, the supply issues would, would have normalized. So that's why I say, I mean, one of the clearest signs that somebody needs to see a lactation consultant is that they're having significant pain with breastfeeding. That that's, it's just, it shouldn't, you shouldn't just, just power through that, yeah. Um, you know, or just give up. I right. mean, unless you want to, of course, like we're all about, you know, do whatever you want. Right. But know that, that, that is probably solvable. And, you know, people think that cracked bleeding nipples are always like in, in my, you know, in my boober prenatal breastfeeding classes, people will ask, okay, so what's the best cream should I get for the cracked bleeding, bleeding nipples? And I'm like, hang on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Creams can help once you already have that, but that's not normal. We want to fix that latch because if you don't fix the latch, you're just going to keep creating that, that abrasion yes. and that, right? So we got to fix the latch. Then you can use the cream to, you know, to make it soothe, to soothe the area or heal as you're, as you're healing. But yeah, that's something that people should really know. Like, oh my God, bleeding nipples, not normal. <laughs> no, that, you know what? And that's good information. Cause I think some people, I know I was that person that I just thought this is normal. Like this is just right. my breasts are getting used to breastfeeding and you know, uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, well, the thing that you, you don't realize as a person walking around is that the people who had easy breastfeeding or less painful or painless breastfeeding, they don't really talk about it. You, you no, nobody yeah. needs to walk around being like, my breastfeeding was so easy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Shut it. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. Um, and people who do have problems, of course, we need to process that. You're walking around, you got to tell people how it was and you got to talk about it because um, it's hard to tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. So you start to just think like, yeah, that's normal. Okay. That's my sitch. <laughs> well, that's um, why this episode is good. And those listening yeah. will take, have some good takeaways. So yeah, definitely. That's, that's good. So often what happens is your baby starts nursing more than usual, right? So whether it be over a few days or why, why does your son, your baby suddenly start feeding more, more than, than usual? Yeah. So, you know, you're going along thinking you, you finally have gotten something figured out and your baby eats, you know, every couple hours and it was going well. And then all of a sudden you're like, they throw you for a wrench. Yeah. Why my baby was, was only waking up twice a night. And now why are they waking up every hour and a half all of a sudden? Why is this regression happening or, you know, what's going on? So it's fairly normal at growth spurt periods that because we know that milk supply, that whole like supply and demand thing, again, the baby or demand and supply, they demand the milk to tell you to make more. So right before your baby is about to grow, they will often start suckling more vigorously, more frequently, um, sometimes for longer. And it's simply to give the signal to your brain, to your pituitary gland telling you, you've got to make, you know, make more milk there. Um, and so you'll see that this will happen for a day or two, like crazy, sometimes every few weeks, you know, common mm-hmm. growth cycle points might be at three weeks, six weeks, nine weeks, kind of 12 weeks, somewhere in there. It's different for everybody. Um, and you'll just notice one day, all of a sudden your baby's a little bigger. You're like, when did this happen? Oh, and then they stop <laughs> all of that frequent feeding. And then you're like, oh, growth spurt. After several cycles of this, you might start to remember it. But hey, if you're hearing it now, <laughs> yeah, just know that that, that can be be normal. They're just trying to get you to make more milk. 
There you go. There you go. Okay. So let's get into breastfeeding and sleep. Okay. Um, I think it's important to talk about the relationship. I know on our team at Goodnight Sleep Site, we understand that there is that relationship and it's important for us to be able to work with lactation consultants so that our families are able to include the best informed uh, steps with their sleep mm-hmm. plan. And we know that there are different family circumstances and with you know varying breastfeeding goals and both professions need to be able to distinguish between you know the parenting style, um, and feeding methods. So our thought is that breastfeeding doesn't require a parenting style that includes unrestricted access to mom for as long as she breastfeeds. So if that is the chosen style and the family is functioning as a healthy and happy and well-rested family unit, then I always say, who are we to recommend change? Absolutely. And those really aren't the parents that are coming to us and calling. Right. They're probably not calling you. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But to moms and families that are struggling and not with breastfeeding and supply issues, but with lack of sleep and exhaustion, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. largely due to feeding on demand Mm -hmm. um, and too much fragmented sleep, we believe that schedules for sleep can have a place. So a question Mm -hmm. that many of our families have for those that are looking to gain more consistent routine and schedules, and I mean, whether it be, you know, parenting styles that they're following or their career goals or just phases that the families are shifting through, my question to you, and this is why I'm so excited about us having that conversation, is how can can mom potentially schedule feeds a bit more, perhaps reducing night feeds once baby is age appropriate? And let's I know that's a conversation that we yeah. had earlier on. So let's definitely talk about that while still protecting her milk supply. Is that possible? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, look, like you said, it's really important that each family do their thing. They have to do what they need to do, right? And if they are calling you because sleep is really so disruptive to their life and they're not able to sleep, they're exhausted, they're sleep deprived, and it's really badly affecting, that can really affect your mood and your ability to work and so many things. So, you know, I think at Boober, same as you, we're all about like each family making their own individual plan and doing what they need to do. That being said, if they do need to sleep more at night and that baby is frequently waking up at night, there are a couple things that you can do and especially age appropriate again. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we tend, uh, I, I would tend to go toward waiting at three months, you know, um, mm-hmm. I don't know where, is that about where you Yeah. So when or- we start kind of what we call formal sleep training, mm-hmm. um, we're talking anywhere from four months and up. So four to four and yeah. a half months and up, okay. you know, we, depending on where mom and dad are in terms of what they want to do, mom or dad, you know, we're, we're still including feeds up around six months is when, if mom or dad is ready to do it, we're starting to wean out feeds. Mm-hmm. I mean, that being said, we've worked with some families at four months that, that wean out all night feeds. So mm-hmm. we really, mm-hmm. we work very much with the families on what yeah. they want, um, with mom's milk supply and breastfeeding yeah. relationship in, you know, thinking about that as yeah. well. So one of the things to really think about at that time, like if you are reducing night feeds, let's just say you did cut out one to two night feeds and did nothing else, what's going to happen, of course, is milk supply will go down because we're not getting stimulated enough. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing to think about. It's kind of a basic math that every feed you remove, let's say from the night, you're going to either in the daytime, you're going to need to pump your breasts for that cycle to match out that cycle um, or try to get the baby to breastfeed, you know, during the day more frequently. So that might mean that when, um, a mom or, you know, lactating parent is, is starting to reduce for those night feeds that you're actually kind of offering the best more frequently to the baby. 
And this depends on the age, right? At six months, when the, at least on, on this side, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends, uh, you know, holding off on any solid foods until six months mm-hmm. here. And I'm not yeah. sure I, yeah. um, the same, I, you know. It's four it to six months. Four I mean, months. I find now more and more doctors are recommending four months. I still like to say six months, but I mean, it's really the choice of the parent at the end of the day. Yeah. So, you know, I'll just kind of go with what we, we tend to say, you know, toward that six month mark, but yes, yeah, certainly each individual family should talk with their pediatrician about what's a rate for them. But like around that six month time that you are, let's say adding in a solid food, then it would be very natural to be dropping a food, uh, a feed anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So from six months on, typically babies are starting the slow process of weaning off breast milk anyway. So that, that can match up a little, you know, a little more easily. If you've not started solids and you are dropping that feed, then, then I really want to just think about bringing the baby to the breast more frequently during the day, which might mean you offering it because you're kind of changing the pattern on them, right? right? So you're going to want to just bring out the boob a little, bring the baby closer. Usually babies, when they are brought near the breast, they, they like it, especially the baby that's breastfeeding, you know, and has been breastfeeding frequently is probably going to latch on a little bit. And even that little bit of extra during the day also is going to start to shift the pattern so that they don't need as much during the night. They certainly don't need it at night, right? As long as they're getting the amount of calories that they need through their day, then they can often sleep longer and longer stretches. So just remembering that a breast pump can equal a feeding time and that you might already by that time, a lot of people, most people have introduced a bottle. Yeah. Um, Most of the families that come to us pretty much already have a pretty solid breastfeeding relationship intact because we're not working with the little, little babies, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good to know. And I mean, mean, is it possible to, you know, breastfeed long-term, but still somewhat schedule feeds, whether it be throughout the day or even at night? Um, I think definitely. I mean, it depends. Like some, some babies, when you start introducing bottles, because bottles are a bit easier, they Mm -hmm. tend toward bottles because they can feed from them a little more quickly. And um, other babies are like, nope, I like to breastfeed as much as I ever did. (laughs) And I'll take the bottle if you require me to. Um, Some babies really don't care. They easily flow between all of it. So I find it's really it's really baby to baby, but I would just say to be gentle with the transition time. Like don't expect in one night that everything right. is different, right? I'm yeah. sure your sleep program is not. No, yeah. It takes time <laughs> right? to change habits for it sure. It takes time to change habits, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, just note that if the baby doesn't want to breastfeed at the time that you're offering a little bit extra, you definitely are going to want to pump your your breast um, if you're wanting to keep up the same amount of breast milk. That's really the key that people understand is that if they are starting to get less stimulation because they're training the baby to sleep more at night, um, and the baby is now going to be breastfeeding less as long as they continue to stimulate more during the day with a pump or a baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> then they can keep up the supply typically. But if they don't add in those extra pumps, then it's normal for the breast milk supply to go di- you know, to, to go start down. going down. Yeah. But if you've started introducing solids, again, like we said, just to reiterate that that's, that's okay. That's, that's what's supposed to happen when right. you start adding in a that's solid. A natural You're supposed to be removing a breastfeeding session anyway. Yeah. 
So much great info. So now yeah. what I normally do at the end of my episodes is I open up a sleep clinic. So I'll, you know, do my episode and then I will answer a couple questions that have been submitted to me through Instagram okay. or Twitter. So I've asked my community um, to ask you a couple breastfeeding questions. So if you don't mind, great. I'd love to ask you sure. some of them that came in. So guys, this is normally where we open up the sleep clinic, but now we're opening up a breastfeeding clinic um, and Jada is going to help us uh help us answer some of these questions. So the first one is kind of what you were just talking about. So let's ask that one first. And this is from Mar um, at Modern Day Marco. Um, and she asked, what are some ways to increase supply? So you mentioned, you know, working in some more pumping sessions or feeding more during the day. Are there other ways that parents or moms can increase their supply? Well, one of the things is you can add in your hands while you are pumping um, or breastfeeding, starting to massage your breasts somewhat, right? So we all have, I like to call them the milk making spots on our boobs. So finding that space that where if you massage with your thumb into, you know, kind of a, a meatier part of the breast while you're breastfeeding, you're giving more stimulation and um, that can start to kind of increase or if you're pumping. And that's often when we really want to see more coming out just while that, during that pumping session as right. opposed to into the baby who might get too much, right? So giving yourself a nice breast massage, maybe a minute before or, or really using your hands during the pumping session, that can help. There's, um, you know, besides stimulation, of course, some people swear by different milk, what we call the galactagogues, right? So you might find the milk making teas or the foods that are kind of known to be more friendly to breast milk production or certain herbs that you'll see. Um, I'm not going to specifically recommend any. You should always actually talk to your, you know, your care provider and, and make sure because there are certain things like you'll hear fenugreek, right, which is known yeah. to increase milk supply, um, can have issues for people with thyroid issues. There's all sorts of, you know, our blood pressure stuff going on. So I do always want people to check in with their care providers if there's any issue about them taking herbs. But you'll hear even like from oatmeal, right, mm -hmm. um, flaxseed, um, you know, you'll look at all these different lactation cookies that people are making, which are um, they've got B vitamins, which are known to increase milk supply. So you'll, you can look into those kind of galactagogue foods because they're healthy foods anyway, often, right? <laughs> um, you know, making sure that you are you know, drinking enough fluids, but we don't want to over, overdo it. Some people in the past used to think like, oh my God, if I just chug water all day, I will make more milk. We don't want to actually over, over hydrate beyond what, what we need. And just really thinking about good healthy, healthy foods. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say adding in that, that massage, um, and stimulation makes a big difference. Awesome. Okay. And this one was from at Megan Turlinski and she says, how do I get a breast fed baby on a bottle? My baby is nine months and still won't take mm. one. So I know that's a common issue with some families who maybe want to start introducing a bottle here or there. Do you have any recommendations yeah. for that? A lot of babies, let's just put this out there. There's a lot of babies who after eight weeks, if they didn't get a bottle, they will never take a bottle. Okay. That is not all babies. So I just want to say nine months, you actually might want to try a sippy cup. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Some babies just won't, they won't go for it. That's, that's you know, that's fairly on, on the end of like, you. I don't know if this person has introduced solids yet or not, because some people, you know, wait up until a year, um, mm -hmm. somewhere between six months and a year. Um, so it's possible that they haven't, I don't know, but I would just say, yeah, try, try a sippy cup, even an actual cup 
little, like a little mini medicine cup, you know, those five milliliter cups, babies can actually, it's so cute. They use their tongue and they'll lick out of it like a little puppy or kitty. Not that that's a really efficient feeding (laughs) method. (laughs) I'm just telling you. You can try it. There are different ways. You can also use an eyedropper, of course, to suck up, you know, breast milk if they if they really want and if they're they're with a caregiver for a short amount of time and you just need to know that they're going to be able to get that milk. So try a sippy cup, try a, try an eyedropper or the little kitty cup. Interesting. Okay. Um, and this was from, I can never say these handles, at Ma- Mahalski. I don't know if I'm saying mm-hmm. that right. At Mahalski. If I give formula in the evening, is my baby getting enough of my breast milk during the day? Well, um, you know, hard to know without knowing all of the things right. that are going on, right? So if you give, as long as your baby is gaining weight and peeing and pooping as much as your pediatrician recommends at this time, then then they're getting enough. I mean, what is enough breast milk to you, right? Like, right. Um, that's that. So that's that's hard for me to answer without knowing, you know, the age of the baby and how much is being given. But I would just say that if you don't feel that your baby is thriving and that they're, you know, they're plateauing in their weight gain or it's something's not correct there, then we would want to look to do you need to increase what you're giving the baby and and bring back either more breast milk or or possibly more formula depending on what's going on with the baby. Okay. And one more, and this is from at Samantha.Beckett. She says is, and this is actually a good question, is formula feeding and breastfeeding different for night feeds? So I guess this would be more for the younger babies in that Mm -hmm. fourth trimester. Mm -hmm. Um, do, Do you include more of the other? It, it is different. I would say that the components, you know, of course, the breast milk and formula are right. are different. And that the one thing I can say that most people experience is that formula fed babies do sleep longer, but that is not necessarily what we want at that age. So you right. really do want to weigh that out. It's hard. It's different and potentially harder for them to process. So they do say that the digestion is a bit more um, challenging and that I may, that may cause the baby to sleep longer. So, you know, newborn babies are in that fourth trimester are supposed to wake frequently to feed. And that's just something to be aware of that if you are doing you know, breast milk, breastfeeding, um, the babies do wake up more, more frequently typically. So that's just something maybe you want to check in more to do a little more research about how you feel about formula versus breast milk. If you have enough breast milk and you're able to do it, do you want to keep doing it, um, or, or you know, are you shifting to formula? But they do; they are processed differently. Okay, good yeah. answers. This is great. Thank you again so much. Where can everybody find out more about you and find out more about Boober? Yeah, um, so please visit www.getboober.com or visit us on Instagram at getboober. And while Boober has been focused on connecting new parents to lactation support for the last couple years, we're now growing into a wider marketplace so that all of expectant new parents can find their pregnancy to postpartum care providers there. So soon you'll see we already have postpartum doulas and birth doulas um, there. And we're building out this wider marketplace. So you'll be able to find your pelvic floor therapist and your postpartum massage therapist and really all of the vetted experts that that people need in this amazing time of life that are non-clinical, that really help people thrive. So you know, please come come visit us. And we're, we're really excited to be here. So thank you. Well, thank you. And guys, we'll put all of Jada's uh, information uh, in the show's notes over at goodnightsleepsite.com slash podcast. Thank you again, Jada and everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I wish you sweet dreams and a good night. 
Thanks for listening, guys. And be sure to check back for more episodes helping your family bring back bedtime. And to make sure you don't miss out, you can subscribe to the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, basically wherever you get your podcasts. And download our free sleep resources at goodnightsleepsite.com slash podcast. And if you like what you hear, guys, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. That helps the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast reach even more families like yours who deserve better sleep. 